Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. My name is Ben. Just a couple of days ago, we had Then Bennett on the radio show, and he asked this question that changed my life a couple of months ago. He said, is what you're doing working? And I want to ask you that question. Is what you're doing working? Is the the, the fight for your faith, is, is how you're sharing your faith, uh, are your your political stances and how you're you're communicating those, is is that working? This afternoon, we're going to talk to Aaron Wren. He's written this book called Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Now, American Christians, we find ourselves in quite the predicament, don't we? We're not used to living in a society that's hostile to our core beliefs. This book is a much-needed wake-up call. So Aaron um, is a consultant. He's a writer in Indianapolis. He's a senior fellow at the American Reformer. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We're super grateful. Um, Let's just start right here. In this book, you talk about the shift and kind of describe the changes in the relationship between culture and Christianity that's happened over the probably the last 60 years. Would you start there for us? Sure. You know, unlike Europe, we never had a state church. But we did have a sort of softly institutionalized generic Protestantism as our default national religion. So if you go back, say, as recently as the 1950s, about half of all adults attended church every Sunday. That was actually the highest church attendance in American history. Uh, We still had prayer and Bible reading in public schools. We were adding in God, we trust to our money and under God to the pledge. So it was very much this Christian normative society. And that began to unravel in the 1960s, and Christianity went into a period of decline that continues to the present day. And I divide that period of decline from roughly 1964 to the present into three eras or worlds that I call the positive world, the negative world, excuse me, the neutral world, and the negative world. Hmm. So the positive world lasts from 1964 to 1994. And this is a period of decline for Christianity. I want to be clear on that. All is not going well at this time. Nevertheless, Christianity is still viewed basically positively. To be known as a good church-going man makes you seem like an upstanding member of society, and Christian moral norms are still the basic moral norms of society. 1994, we hit a tipping point in under what I call the neutral world, where Christianity is no longer seen positively, but it's not really seen negatively yet either. It's just one more lifestyle choice among many in a pluralistic public square. And Christian moral norms have a sort of residual effect. And then around 2014, we enter what I call the negative world. So hit that second tipping point, where for the first time in the 400-year history of America, official elite culture now views Christianity negatively, or at least certainly skeptically, to be known as a Bible-believing Christian, does not help you get a job in Wall Street or Silicon Valley. Quite the opposite, in fact. 
Christian moral norms are now expressly repudiated and, in fact, are now seen as the leading threat to the new public moral order. And this has definitely been a dislocating experience as entry into the negative world for American evangelicals, to say the least. Hmm, no kidding. Aaron Wren is on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Can you help me understand some of the strategies that Christians, evangelical Christians, use to respond to some of those various phases of decline and then how we find ourselves here? Because obviously, um, well, those those change or those those phases, those those responses didn't necessarily work the way that we hope they would. Almost evangelicalism is, to some extent, a product of this period of decline. You know, back in the 50s, it was really the mainline denominations that dominated the American religious scene. And as they went into decline and could never really figure out how to adapt, it was really evangelicals who figured out how to crack the code on changing times. And there were essentially three major strategies that I identify, two from the positive world and one from the neutral world. So in the positive world, those were culture war and secret sensitivity, and in the neutral world, what I call cultural engagement. The culture war got its start in the 1970s with people like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, and again, I think we all know it, it's the religious right that we all know and is still with us today. This group of people saw that the culture was not moving the way that they wanted, and so they wanted to mobilize politically to fight back and take back the culture. Hmm. Secret sensitivity also started in the 1970s, pioneered by people like Bill Hybels at uh, Willow Creek Church in suburban Chicago, Rick Warren at Saddleback Church in Orange County, where they also saw people were going to church, and their response was to create a church people would actually attend. So the origin story of Willow Creek is that Bill Hybels went door-to-door in suburban Chicago. He asked people why they didn't go to church. As he said, he got an earful. And then he basically said, "Okay, let's design a church these people will attend. Let's get rid of the stodgy denominational distinctives and robes and hymns and stuff like that. Let's have contemporary music, informality, topical therapeutic sermons, et cetera. And this is basically the non-denominational suburban megachurch that we all know. It sort of became the evangelical mainstream and, in essence, was enormously successful at bringing people to the gospel uh, in an era when— the other denominations were going into decline. And then in the neutral world uh, in the 1990s, um, that we as uh, something we call a secret sensitivity, should be a cultural engagement pioneered by people like Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in New York. And you can think of this in a couple of ways. One is as a secret sensitivity for the cities. This really got going as urban areas came back in the 90s as crime collapsed and mayors like Rudy Giuliani took over. You could also think of it as the opposite of the culture war, uh, where instead of fighting with people all the time, they're like, let's take advantage of this pluralistic public square to just have a conversation with people. And again, very successful in reaching people in the cities. And so I think these things all had a degree of success and got some interesting things right. But as we've moved into the negative world, um, we have not yet developed new strategies for that specifically which I think is part of the problem facing evangelicalism. Mm. Aaron Wren is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. This book is called Life in the Negative World. So as you talk about some of those strategies, um, did were, was any of those people, were they getting it right? Will any of those things work in the negative world? Or, or what should or even could we be doing instead right now? Well, uh, yeah, they, they all got part, part of it right. They all got some important things right. You know, the, the culture war people understood that Sometimes you have to just be unpopular. 
that you have to be willing to be low status and on the outs and have people dislike you. I think secret sensitivity, what they got right is the idea of, hey, let's not erect any artificial man-made barriers between people and the gospel. And then I think, you know, the the cultural engagement people, I think, had a greater appreciation of things like the life of the mind and vocation and things that may have been missing out of some other things. And so having myself grown up in a rural uh, Assemblies of God church that was very culture war and spent much of my adult life in big cities and I'm now, you know, Presbyterian uh, and had a heavy influence from people like Tim Keller uh, over the development of my faith. I mean, I think I see, you know, a little bit of, you know, some of what they each get uh, there. But I think certainly everything needs to be updated as we enter this negative world. And the only thing that's really been put forward really to date for the negative world is Rod Dreer's Benedict Option strategy, which he put out in his book of that name in 2017. Evangelicals basically rejected the Benedict Option, which I think is interesting. Christianity Today can commission four people to respond to the book, for example, and all four of them had significant criticisms. And I think at that time, there was a sort of sense of denial that people weren't really ready to face the fact of the kind of environment that we lived in. But now it sort of is. People are kind of waking up on it. And I I think there is a lot of uh, debate about what we ought to have been doing. But essentially, to date, what we've seen is the people have sort of been doubling down on their existing strategies, which I think has led to a number of things. One, some people are just simply, you know, exiting. They're deconstructing their faith. There's some degree of realignment as people sort of change tribes. Um, you could think of someone like David French here, who would have been a hardcore culture warrior 10 years ago. Now is a New York Times columnist criticizing the culture warrior. And then some of these strategies are candidly deforming a bit as they abandon some of their distinctives uh, as part of trying to respond, uh, which we can go into more detail mm-hmm. if you'd like. Sure. Aaron Renz on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. Life in the negative world, confronting challenges in an anti-Christian culture. It's so interesting. You mentioned... Uh, you you said these words update everything uh, when it comes to the I don't know just even the things that we're doing the approaches that we're taking instead of doubling down what does updating everything mean? Well, I mean I don't know that we need to update everything. Certainly, I think you know our the our actual theology and core theological convictions don't necessarily need to be updated, but we do need to think about. Um, how we live in this world. How do we live as uh, individuals and families? How do we live as churches and other ministries and institutions? And then how do we do mission in a world where we're certainly not a moral majority anymore, but we're a moral minority and one that's viewed, you know, very negatively by at least a certain set of the population? How do we um, how do we respond to that? And um, that's actually what I devote about 75% of the book to. I don't claim to have all the answers, but what I'm saying is uh, a big part of it is we need to be open to exploration, be willing to admit that we don't know, willing to admit that we've entered the unknown territory and be comfortable walking by faith more than by sight. Mm. The parallel I like to use is the Israelites crossing the Jordan River into the promised land, leaving the familiar entering the unfamiliar and uh, the injunction in Joshua to follow the ark because you have not been this way before. We have not been this way before. And so we're now going to be in that situation of following Christ into an unknown territory. 
Is what we're doing working? That's the question we started the show with today. Aaron Renz, our guest, Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. We're having conversations about what it's like. I mean, never before in the history of this country has it been like this as a Christian. There's no map. That's one of the things that's probably the most frustrating for me. And then there's so much turmoil, too, and conflict within the evangelical world. We're, we're going to get uns- walk through some uncertainty, some discomfort, and we're going to explore. We're going to find a path next with Aaron Wren on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on listener-supported Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. There is no map. We haven't been here before, and it's a constantly changing and evolving landscape. Aaron Wren is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. My name is Ben. He's written this book called Life in a Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. We've been talking about how Christianity has changed, how the world has changed through three very distinct eras, and we find ourselves in this negative world right now. And Aaron, I just want to ask you right now, there's been so much turmoil and conflict within the evangelical world as to how to even confront this culture or how to live in this culture and how to witness to this culture. Um, Why is that? Well, I think part of it relates to, again, the, the kind of doubling down and deformation on these strategies. So the group that I labeled the cultural engagers, they're clearly the most at risk from this new shift to the negative world because their whole approach was really based on sort of dialoguing with the culture, if you will. And if you lose the ability to have a seat at the table and have a conversation, uh, that's very painful uh, to their model. They also live in, again, a lot of tend to live in big cities, work in more elite domains where they're more expre- exposed to negative world culture and most at risk of getting canceled. And what I see some of this group has, has done is they've sort of shifted their emphasis away from engagement towards what I call synchronization with the culture. Now, again, I would, I think this is much more rhetorical than in terms of changing their theology. Um, but again, they're very keen to downplay anything that disagrees with the culture and very keen to play up the areas where they're in agreement with the culture. So they talk a lot about things like caring for refugees or uh, racism and things of that nature. And one of the ways that they've done this is by essentially bashing the culture warriors. We see this, for example, in Tim Alberta's new book, The Kingdom, the Power and the Glory. He's an Atlantic reporter, evangelical son of an evangelical pastor, And basically his view is that culture warriors are the bad guys. And essentially, you know, you know, some of these other people over here are sort of the good guys. Now, the culture war people themselves have, I think, 
abandon some of their core distinctives. They were the people who would have previously said, for example, during the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, that character is paramount in political leaders. And if you don't have that moral character, then nothing else matters. Well, today, this was the group that's the most enthusiastic about Donald Trump, and they've essentially taken a, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, realpolitik view, if you will, of the world. It's kind of like, well, we can't let Hillary win, can we? We have to vote for this guy. And again, some of them have even gone overboard, I think, on that. Speaking of Trump in, uh, you know, very messianic terms, uh, I note uh, one time that former uh, Texas Governor Rick Perry referred to Trump as God's chosen one, uh, for example. But there's a ton of rhetoric like that. And so these two groups have really been slinging a lot of mud uh, at each other. And it has gotten very ugly, to be quite honest. As I say, there, there's still a culture war going on, only now the culture war is internal to the church. The fighting inside the church is just, uh, it's so disheartening. But I suppose we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? And so nobody's perfect. But I just wonder what, what Jesus thinks of <laughs> of his church as he sits and watches us squabble amongst ourselves and the world around us is crumbling. Well, it's interesting. Much of the New Testament is a the backdrop is, you know, arguing within the church, disunity or some type of false teaching. Um, again, I do think that is a lot. That's interesting because it is really kind of false teaching and things of this nature, whereas a lot of uh, a lot of these arguments tend to be over what I would call our engagement with the outside world. Yeah. They're less direct uh, debates about theological matters, which I think is is kind of interesting there. Uh, but it certainly does not uh, make us look good. Hmm. Aaron Wren is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today, Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges of an Anti-Christian Culture. My name is Ben. So, Aaron, you suggest that uh, the ability to successfully adapt to this the state of decline in many ways, built into evangelicalism, might be considered its greatest strength. Tell me more about yeah, well, that. Well, you know, people always uh, like to criticize, you know, evangelicalism be, for being too uh, too much in chasing cultural fads and things of that nature, maybe too attuned to the culture. And there's probably some validity to that. Uh, at the same time, you know, evangelicalism has been better able to adapt to changing times than, say, the mainline uh, churches were or, you know, the, the old fundamentalist churches were. Uh, you know, again, as the culture shifted in the 70s and the 80s, the evangelical church adapted. Again, in the 90s, the cities got hot. People streamed into cities again. And, you know, evangelicals were able to successfully adapt there. So I think that, uh, you know, we could certainly see new leaders emerge with interesting paradigms for the negative world. And I think it really will be end up being new leaders. You know, it wasn't the leaders of the old seeker sensitivity movement who figured out how to crack the code on places like New York city. It was new people who were, you know, had the right skills and sensitivities for that. And so I think, you know, something will be the case here. You know, there's, you know, the, the gospel has always had to be uh, essentially, um, you know, culturally contextualized. And as long as, you know, it is still the faith once for all delivered to the saints, the whole counsel of God, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what Paul tried to do on Mars Hill, speaking to the Athenian philosophers and things of that nature. And so I do think we have to think about how do we contextualize what we're doing to today's world. 
So, Aaron, I'm curious, as we're kind of living in an unprecedented time, in a sense, as Christians now, what, if anything, is there a step we can take, like, from an individual standpoint, is there any way to apply what we're seeing in our world today and a call to action that we can take to kind of help shape a difference or make progress in the right direction? Yeah, well, I think as an individual, the most important thing for us to do is to resolve in our hearts, you know, that we are really going to be all in Christ. Because, you know, we would read all these verses in the Bible about counting the cost or counting all things as lost or take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, the reality is we just kind of like glossed over them because we recognize, yes, there are huge costs to being a Christian in some place like China or Nigeria uh, you know, or North Korea or places that that nature, but it really didn't seem to apply in our case. And while I don't think that those types of exact persecutions that those people are experiencing are necessarily what's in store for us, you know, merely having to suffer a loss of social status for being a Christian is not something that people have been used to here. And so I think we need to uh, really decide, are we going to be all in on our faith? Because I think the era of the sort of, you know, pew-warming Christian with a sort of okay spiritual life and not too much flagrant and obvious sin, but otherwise kind of just going along to get along in the world, I don't think those that days are going to be long with us. Mm. Uh, so that's that's really the most important thing, I think, at the individual level. I also think our churches need to think about how to be much more strongly a counterculture and to have practices and ways of life that are distinct from the world. You know, again, in the 50s when, you know, not to say there were, there were obviously enormous injustices in, in America, you know, in the 1950s on race and other matters. At the same time, again, when you have prayer in schools and things of that nature, you know, you could sort of outsource your moral formation to the institutions of society in part, which is what a lot of people did. Well, you can't do that anymore. And so we have to be much more intentional about creating community practices uh, that uh, make help us to live sub, uh, distinct from the world in some important ways. Uh, the example I like to give is early 20th century Catholicism. You know, America was still a sort of anti-Catholic country in the early parts of the 20th century. So these largely European immigrant Catholic groups said, hey, if we want to be Catholics in America and, and live out our faith, we have to create our own Catholic schools, our own Catholic universities, our own Catholic fraternal societies. We have to establish our own practices that demarcate and sustain and transmit our community life. And so we're going to have to do the same uh, in the negative world. And this is already happening organically. I, you see it especially in education, where we've seen an explosion of Christian schooling, classical Christian schooling, homeschooling. And of course, it's not just Christians, you know, checking out of the public schools. Many people are checking out of the public schools uh, because they think they're going in very bad directions uh, and not even doing a very good job of educating kids. And so I think those that's the sort of stuff we're going to have to think a lot about. How is our community going to be different from the world in an era when we are a moral minority and the things we might prefer are uh supported by, you know, like people in the world support things that we would oppose and oppose things that we would support. So we have to have churches that live out a distinct way of life from the world. And I think figuring out how to do that is going to be important, not to hide away from the culture, but to be a strong base from which we can 
uh, do mission and evangelism and to have a place to invite people into because you can't give somebody something you don't have yourself. Mm. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom. God has put you right here, right now, for a reason. There is opportunity. Aaron Wren, Life in the Negative World, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thanks for having me. Yep. You're listening to Faith Radio. Matthew 28, Jesus talks about the Great Commission. And let me just read it to you. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Evangelism, telling people about Jesus. So many teachings on evangelism uh, in the Bible and in a world of colliding narratives, how do you interact with unbelievers? Hi, I'm Ben. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio, and Dr. Matt Queen is our guest this afternoon. He's written this book called Recapturing Evangelism. Matt has been a professor of evangelism, and in fact, tomorrow starts a brand new job, brand new calling, been called to be a senior pastor uh, at Friendly Avenue Baptist Church. So, Matt, I know life is super duper busy for you right now. Thank you for taking 25 minutes to talk to us. Thanks so much, Ben. I love uh, being on the show, and I'm excited to talk about the book. Mm. So before we jump into what it means to recapture evangelism, can you tell us what happened to it? Uh, Yeah, that's right. Well, um, you know, when we talk about evangelism today, um, just, I guess, a personal antidote, um, I practice it intentionally. And one of the ways I like to do it is to go up to people and use a catchphrase uh, just to try to get into it. And I'll just say something like, uh, hey, have you heard any good news today? And Ben, uh, I would say, except for two times, I can remember that someone, um, whenever I say that, they say no. Another little catchphrase I use is sometimes, has anybody taken the time today to tell you that Jesus loves you? And almost always, people say no. So evangelism is something that most Christians would know about, and most Christians would probably support and say, yes, I like that. But it's it's the thing that Christians aren't doing today, and um, it's showing up, at least in my personal witness and others that I've taught, uh, even uh, in the church uh, churches that I've been in, uh, where people are just not being as active in evangelism. They believe in it. They think it's right, but they're just not doing it. And so for that reason, I think there's been a, a change in evangelism that we need to recapture our passion for and our practice of evangelism. Right, Matt. So why do we call it evangelism and not just call it sharing our faith or telling people about Jesus? Yeah, so evangelism, I like I like to use that word because that word uh, kind of harkens back to the um, uh, the word that is actually the word for the good news. Uh, it's it's sharing the good news or or proclaiming uh, the good news. Um, you know, I don't have a problem saying sharing sharing the faith, 
a sharing Jesus, something like that. Um, you know, that's a, a new way of, of, of saying it. You know, in the Bible, there's there's really three ways that the Bible talks about evangelism. Um, one is 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 a word that says to to pr really to preach the gospel. And it uses that word and it sounds a lot like evangelism. It's oangelion. Um, another one is um, to witness. Uh, um, uh, it's the word martyrera, which sounds like a martyr. Uh, it's you're a witness, you know, on a stand. Um, and and so uh, those are some of the ways that the Bible talks about it. So I like to I like to talk about uh, use the words that the Bible likes to use for the kinds of activities that God calls us to uh, to do. Gotcha. <clears throat> Matt Queen is on afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio, and well, things have changed so dra drastically. Mm. It seems. Um, mm. Why don't we see or carry out? Um, the sharing of our faith or the witnessing or the evangelism today like they did in the Bible? I think the reason that people aren't evangelizing today, um, there, there's a number of reasons that you could come up with. But uh, the thing that I explore in the, in the book is to talk about um, fear. Um, we we allow fear to dominate us as Christians, and it affects uh, the way that we share the gospel or don't share the gospel. Um, for example, some people are afraid of failure. They say I've never been trained in evangelism, or they say I've never been to Bible school, or they say I don't have a gift of evangelism, which, by the way, there's not a gift. We may get into that in a little while, but um, but the problem is they're, they're afraid they're going to fail because they don't know what to say. And so what, what we've tried to do in the book is to try to encourage Christians that the training that people went through to know what to say in the Bible was when they heard the gospel. Paul said it to the Corinthians, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so he, he's, what he's saying is, is I learned how to share the gospel when someone told me the gospel. And so that's how we're going to uh, get about to do that. And really, if you know enough of the gospel to be saved by it, you know enough of the gospel to share it. And then probably another big reason why people don't evangelize is a fear of rejection. Um, we don't like to feel rejected. Nobody likes rejection. Um but um, what we have to come to the realization of as Christians is, is that many people, many more people are going to reject us than accept it. And so not every time that we share the gospel will we see someone come to faith in Christ, but we'll never see someone come to faith in Christ if we don't share the gospel. And if we are rejected, and we will be, we're going to be like Paul. He was rejected. Look in the book of Acts, Acts 13 through 18, he was rejected more than he was accepted in his message. And even Jesus, who was God himself, he came to earth. He was rejected by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Judas Iscariot, uh, even uh, the rich young ruler. So um, we need to come to a point in our evangelism and in our Christian walk where we realize that we're going to evangelize even if we get rejected. Mm. Matt Queen on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. My name is Ben on Faith Radio. And Matt, help me understand because I feel a bit self-absorbed when I take the rejection personally. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 is it is tough. I think what happens is, and and there's been times that I've been rejected. Um, I think I think we need to kind of distinguish between two things. One thing is is you know I, I'm not trying to argue for when we get rejected, we just kind of say, well, I guess God didn't choose them. You know, when we just go on our lives, we need to have a burden for lost people. We need to have compassion towards them. So it is going to affect us when people reject the gospel. But I think what happens in my life and been maybe in yours, I don't know. But what happens is sometimes we take the rejection personally. And if we take it personally, 
then what we what, what we need to do is to adjust ourselves because really when we share the gospel, if we're sharing the true gospel, not just trying to, you know, manipulate them in some way or whatever, but when we share the true gospel, we're sharing Jesus. And when that rejection comes, they're really not rejecting us. Right. They're rejecting Jesus. And so that ought to burden us. That ought to make us uh, not feel well. But we ought to not take rejection personally, because if we're sharing Jesus, not ourselves, they're rejecting him, not us. Right. I completely agree with you, Matt. It's more of a, a heart hurt, like an ache instead of a yes. pierce. You know what I mean? Yes. Where it's, it's, yes. it's more of a bummer than it is like an attack. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and I, I think in my in my life and in my rhythm of evangelism, Ben, um, the way that I deal with that, because it does hit really hard. I mean, it is a use that, that, that word you used heart piercing. Um, it, that's what it is. I think that's what God uses or wants to use in our lives to cause us to then drive us to our knees to start praying for the lost. In fact, I have a, a list of names in my family. When we um, have had family devotions, there's been times that we keep a list of names and we start praying for unbelievers that we've shared the gospel with that need Jesus. And so I think that's kind of the the way that God dra- drags us down to our knees so that we can pray for those people. Well, God really cares for the lost and they are around us everywhere. And it feels like they are, they are thick around us these days, right? I mean, even going to the grocery yeah. store or going to a Target or a Walmart or or your your son's, daughter's, grandchild's game. I mean, everywhere in life, they are there. And it is about um, exercising this muscle and finding strategies like you, you talked about at the beginning of this conversation about how you go up to them. Maybe people you don't mm-hmm. even know. Hey, have you heard mm-hmm. any good news today? One of my favorite mm-hmm. things to do is, is to, literally, it's the simplest thing to smile and say hello mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time, we're holding the door open for somebody. They'll say something back to you. Boom, there's an opening. And it doesn't mean that you have to share, like, all the creeds and start telling them all of the, the Levitical law or anything like that. But having a conversation, planting seeds, right? Being a normal human being. Uh, it's so important. That's exactly right. That's it. That's exactly right. And, and our world is hurting today, Ben. <laughs> and... Just a word just to start off and, you know, say hello, open the door, like you said, just a, a, a simple act of kindness um, and just say, saying to them, I don't know if anybody's taking the time to tell you, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people feel rejected. There is so much depression, so much mental illness today. You know, uh, there, there's just so many problems. And to hear that somebody loves you, even for somebody who's not a Christian, I've, I found, at least in my life, that people are more willing to hear the gospel today than Christians are to tell it. Mm. Mm. Amen. Matt Queen is on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. He's giving us tools on how we can we can share the gospel, the good news, uh, exercising a, a brand new muscle from literally starting at just very simple things that we can do. And I love that because, Matt, I, you know, there isn't anybody that isn't having a hard time or that isn't struggling that will say, Mm -hmm. I mean, very few people that will say, um, no, if I say, Hey, Hey, you know, you're hurt. Can, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Mm -hmm. Um, there isn't anybody. And if there are, then shame on, on them. And that's a bummer. But if you just say, Hey, how are you? Good to see you today. Welcome to wherever you're going. Jesus loves you. 
You know, there isn't this like adversarial argument or or all winning or coming at them with the the full Levitical law like we were just kind of joking about. It can really be simple and you can really start doing it today, right now. And you can have a really, really big impact. And I believe God will use you even in the most simple things. That's what he calls us to do, right, Matt? Amen. It is. Uh, you know, I was talking yesterday. I was in New Mexico uh, for their state evangelism conference. And we I did a, a, a seminar talking about getting to the gospel. And, you know, I think really what we have to do is have a have a different kind of view about things. Many people who um, evangelize. Another reason why they don't do it is they say, well, I would do it if God gave me an opportunity. <laughs> And they think an opportunity is something like lights and camera in action and angels <laughs> singing in the background and someone coming up and saying, what must I do to be saved? And that, of course, can happen, but it's probably not likely going to happen. It's never happened to me anyway. And I think what we need to do is exactly what you're saying, Ben. We need to come to a point where we recognize what is an opportunity to share the gospel. And a lot of times they come in a lot more uh, easy ways. For example, if you see somebody wearing wearing a cross necklace or maybe on their apparel or maybe a tattoo or something like that, you know, just a simple question, hey, what does that cross mean to you? Again, we can't, just because someone has a cross on doesn't mean that they know Jesus. I uh, was seeing, saw a young man the other day and he had a big old cross on. I said, hey, I like that cross. What does it mean to you? He said, oh, my grandmother got it for me. You know, so, you know, just finding those simple mm. ways that God's bringing people into our lives whether you can share your faith with them or find a brother and sister in Christ, and then you can sharpen each other. I mean, there are so many opportunities that God has placed in your life. And because he opened your eyes today, because he's put breath in your lungs today, he has a plan and a purpose for you. And coming up next with Matt Queen, who's a professor of evangelism today, tomorrow, he's a senior pastor. He's in between jobs. He's amazing. He's written this book called Recapturing Evangelism, A Biblical Theological Approach. Why it's not okay for us as Christians to sit on the sidelines and let somebody else do it. It's it's not okay. But how do you do it? Because it can seem overwhelming. Maybe you're facing the fear that Matt's been talking about. We will help you next in 90 seconds. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Ben, and you're listening to Faith Radio. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. If you're actively sharing your faith, don't stop. Keep doing it. If you've heard Matt Queen, our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today, professor of evangelism and, and uh, now a senior pastor, um, we're going to give you some tools. If you haven't heard the tools of the last 15 minutes, remember you can always go back and listen to this conversation again with the free Faith Radio app or listen to the Afternoons with Bill Arnold podcast anywhere you get your podcasts 
or of course um, with the free Faith Radio app or myfaithradio.com. It's like a DVR for the radio. It's amazing. But Matt, before we took the break, we were talking about uh, the fact that it's, as Christians, it's just it's just not okay to sit on the sidelines. It's just not okay to say, uh, I don't think God wants me to do that, or God hasn't given me the gifts or talents or abilities to do that, because that's just not true. Jesus said in Matthew 28, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, uh, just 30% of you in the church do that, and then the other, you know, this is for all of us. And we're here at Faith Radio. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus, to share our faith, help believers grow in their relationship uh, with God, and just because you don't work at this this radio station or this mission or this ministry, uh, we are all called to do that. And so, what would you say to somebody who who does say, "I don't have the gift, I don't have the skill, I don't have the ability"? Yeah, that's that, that's a good question, and I hear that so many times. Uh, uh, let me just take those and break those down. First of all, um, if you um, skills come by practice, and so. Um, you know, I, I got saved when I was, um, I'm 49 now, I was uh, seven years old. And as soon as I met Jesus, as soon as he saved me, I, I ran out of the church and I started finding all the kids that were outside playing around and I was telling them how they could be saved. That, that That's something that Jesus does in us. We The first thing we want to do when he saves our soul, when he forgives us of our sins, when he, we become disciples of his, we want to tell other people. And um, so, uh, you know, the, the witness that I was back in 1982 uh, to those kids and yelling, I'm saved, I'm saved, and you can be too. I'm not that same kind of witness today because I've had more practice. Um, so I would say, you know, uh, you've heard practice makes perfect. Well, we're not ever going to be perfect, but practice makes us better. And so if you're looking for better skill, you'll, you'll never uh, have that skill unless you practice it. And then about the gift, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's a gift of evangelism. I've heard it a million times. Uh, the, the 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 thing that I would just appeal to is number one, the word evangelism is never in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying the concept's not there because evangelism it is not in a noun form like the word evangelism. The the word and concept of evangelism is in a verbal form. It's evangelize. It's preach the gospel. It's go tell people about Jesus. And so, uh, first of all, the Bible never says there is a gift of evangelism. Um, it does talk about there being a gift of the evangelist. And so some people say, well, I'm not an evangelist. But in that passage in Ephesians 4, the Bible says that uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given to equip the saints for ministry. And so just real quick, a spiritual gift, and some people say evangelism is a spiritual gift. Well, a spiritual gift is given for the benefit of the church not of the lost. Now they may, you know, benefit in some way, but really gifts are given to the church. We see that in all the spiritual gifts inventories. Um, they're given to strengthen the church. They're tra- given to help the church move together, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 as a body. And so evangelism is not given for the church or to, to benefit the church. Evangelism is given to benefit the unchurched. And so an evangelist is somebody like me, who I think I'm an evangelist, who equips and encourages others to do the work of evangelism, do the work of the ministry. And so the good news is nobody has the gift of evangelism, but we've all got the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that helped Peter on Pentecost, that helped Paul preach in prisons, and the same Holy Spirit that helps me can help your listeners today go and tell someone about Jesus. Mm. Matt, thank you. I'm so grateful for that. That was so tender and so loving and so kind, but also so in, encouraging and empowering. Um, so I, similar story. Um, mm-hmm. You heard me say I like to smile, 
hold the door open for yep. people, say hi, because mm-hmm. it just opens so many doors. I love what you said. It's just it's so easy to add in just a Jesus loves you. Um, I really mm-hmm. like to when somebody's hurting um, to say, hey, I, you know, can I pray for you? Even yeah. unbelievers, 99 per- percent of the time they will say, uh, sure. Um, one time I because I wasn't good and I'm st- I still am not perfect at it, like you said, and I want to I want to be better. Uh, but mm-hmm. I bought I bought a bag of these tiny little pocket crosses on Amazon. You can get like two or three hundred for like twelve yes. bucks. They're teeny, right? I carry one in my pocket all the time. And I ask God every morning. I would put one in my pocket and say, God, will you help me give this mm-hmm. to somebody? Will you help me see somebody? Will you bring somebody to me that I can share this cross with them? Let them know that I love them, and then open them up for conversation or question and then give me the words to share. Right. And so every day, every day there would be something that would happen that I would give away this cross. I mean, almost, Mm -hmm. almost all the time at the end of the night, I didn't have a cross in my pocket because (laughs) somebody, somebody had, like you said, somebody had a tattoo or somebody mentioned, um, something, they're going through mm-hmm. a struggle with their, their mom and they need to move her to assisted living or you mm. name it. Something happened and I felt that nudge to then give that gift, that tiny little cross in somebody's, somebody's pocket, from my pocket to their pocket. There are tools, there are ways that we can use that will help spur us on towards love and good deeds like that. Do you have any other recommendations of things that you know that would work that would help people who are struggling when I, I was crippled by fear to share, mm-hmm. but that that I can use as almost a prop then to help me exercise that muscle and to practice it and to show people love and to do what God is calling us to do? Absolutely. And I, I'm so glad to hear that you had that prop. That's one of the things that I teach students and I teach churches is using a a prop like a little cross. I actually said that yesterday in Mm. this uh, seminar I was teaching or a a gospel track, you know, a little booklet that has the gospel. And and here's why something like that is, is, is so good. Ben is uh, there's a guy, his name is Dave Wiggins. He's a missions uh, pastor in uh, Tennessee, um, Eastern Tennessee. And he said, starting spiritual conversations is easier than turning conversation spiritual. Mm. And I think that's right. When you have this little prop, you know, something that helps you, whether it's a, a little cross or whether it's a catchphrase, you know, have you heard any good news today? Anything like that, you're actually starting the conversation and directing it that way rather than getting into a conversation. And you're trying to get it started. And then there's some awkward, cheesy way that you try to turn the conversation, you know. Right. So, yeah, there's other ways to, to, to do this, to start a spiritual conversation. Easter's coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. So all your listeners know that uh, Easter's coming up uh, starting tomorrow is March. It's at the end of March. You know, if if you find someone and say, hey, what does Easter mean to you? Listen to what they say. You know, they may say, well, that's candy or Easter bunny or when our, our, you know, when we dress up to go to church or whatever. And then you're able to come back and say, let me tell you what Easter means. Not what it means to me, but really what it means, whether it's you or whoever. Um, so using a holiday, uh, that is a a really easy and, and direct way to be able to, uh, you know, share the gospel in that way. Or maybe you're around somebody who, uh, you know, has a different faith than you. Um, just ask a question, hey, can you tell me, um, can you tell me wh- uh, what your religion, you know, whatever it might be, how do you find peace with God? 
And then you're able to kind of turn around and say, well, let me tell you how I find peace with God or how I found peace with God. You know, that's a way to do that. Um, and then, you know, probably one other way is, and I, I like what you've said multiple times is prayer. I like going when I go to a restaurant and tell, asking my server, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? And then I've, I've asked that uh, question before, and I've had uh, servers begin to cry mm. because, you know, they, you know, serving in, in a restaurant is not easy. And sometimes they get uh, mistreated. And it, it it just is that touching moment that you can continue on and let the Lord lead you to tell someone about Jesus' love for them. Mm, Matt, I love that, too, because I think, you know, prayer is one of the most underutilized gifts God has given us. And people struggle Amen. with prayer or how to pray or if they're in a, if they're worthy enough to pray or if God even hears them. Um, about prayer. And that's why prayer is so powerful. And speaking of prayer, Matt, when we're talking about sharing our faith, and as people are listening right now to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and they're still list- they're listening to you, and they're listening to me, and they're going, nope, still scared to death. Um, will you talk about praying um, and, and asking God for the right words in the right situations and the courage and the bravery to do what he wants you to do? That is a, an important step that I think we haven't necessarily talked about so far. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I would say this. If we if we do evangelism, if we share the gospel, if we tell people about Jesus, whatever word you want to use, if we evangelize in our own power, we're going to get our own results. And so if you're going to try to look for courage or muster up the courage in yourself, you're probably not going to be able to do that. If you're going to try to find the words on your own, you're probably not going to do that. But if we, like the early church in the book of Acts— if we pray, just like they did whenever um, uh, Peter uh, uh, got out of jail, Peter and John got out of jail, and they start praying, they say, Lord, would you fill us and would you give us boldness to share? We don't have to muster up courage. The Holy Spirit, and that's that's the kind of prayer, Ben, that we don't have to wonder, is that God's will or not? It is God's will for his spirit to fill us and to give us boldness. Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, when you're brought before magistrates and governors, don't worry about what you're going to say, because in that very hour, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And then, you know, I don't want to go beyond what the Bible says, but I believe that if the Holy Spirit will give me words in front of a governor or a magistrate or something else like that to be able to proclaim Jesus. Why wouldn't he do it with the person <laughs> that's serving me dinner or the person that I see at the grocery store or my neighbor or my friend or my family member? Mm. I completely agree, Matt Queen. I think it comes down to the fact of, um, do you trust God? Yes. Do you trust him? Do you trust that what he says is true? Do you know, Mm -hmm. do you realize, do you understand how much he loves you and cares for you and feels that same way about the lost, the broken, the forsaken? He says he will never leave you. He will never abandon you. Matt Queen Recapturing Evangelism, a biblical theological approach. It's a book you got to read. We are called to share our faith, to make disciples of all nations. Thank you, Matt. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.